And it's honestly led to the most burnout I think I've ever seen in a hospital setting before. And then just on top of this, like you're saying, when nurses are burnt out and they're asking for that break to rejuvenate themselves, they're then denied vacation. And I'm starting to see that before people would, they would really try their hardest to get their, to get their vacations covered or just um, maybe reschedule things because they really didn't want to leave their team short-staffed. And I, like, honestly, now I'm seeing people, they're kind of at their wits ends. Like they just, they don't care. And they, they'll just say, I'd rather call in sick anyways. Welcome to the Cold Steel Podcast, hosted by Amir Farouk and myself, Chad Ball. We consider it an absolute privilege to bring you guests from around the world who are truly experts in their craft. Our mission is to offer you a combination of not only masterclasses on clinical surgery topics, but also insights into achieving personal growth, productivity, and fulfillment as both a surgeon and perhaps more importantly, as a human. Lauren Kirwin is the fantastic nurse clinician for general surgery at the Foothills Medical Center. She is currently finishing up her nurse practitioner degree. We've long wanted to pick Lauren's brain about her thoughts about what it means to be an OR nurse and what she wishes surgeons would do to make the OR environment better. We also hear from Lauren about the impact of COVID-19 on our nursing colleagues. We'd love to hear from our nurse listeners. What are some of the things that make your day or alternatively, make you mad in the operating room. Email us at podcast.cjs at gmail.com with your thoughts and comments. Well, Lauren, it's a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. Uh, Dr. Ball and I obviously know you personally from working with you uh, so much in the operating room, and it's really a real pleasure and an honor to have you on the show. For those of our listeners who don't know you, could you please tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, and where you did your training? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Um, this is definitely a new experience, so I'm excited to, to do this with you guys. Um, so I was actually born uh, in New Jersey. I know you can't tell. Um, I have no accent, uh, which is good. <laughs> um, I then moved to Florida and Oregon and finally came up to Canada, um, where I did my high school um, in Invermere. And then I came to Calgary to pursue nursing at that time. Um, so I went to Mount Royal University and I graduated in probably, um, when was it, 2010. Um, and then from there, I kind of just, I knew that I wanted to um, get into the operating room right away. Like it always really excited me. Um, so yeah, I had the opportunity to join um, the Foothills OR and honestly, it's been like an amazing 11 years there. Um, I can't believe it's actually been that long. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've been there for 11 years and kind of during that time, uh, I was on the general surgery team and then shortly thereafter, I uh, decided to take the nurse clinician job for um, general surgery and transplants. Um, so I did that for about five or five or six years, I believe. Um, yeah. And then recently I've kind of taken um, a bit of a different direction and um, I've just finished uh, getting my master's in nursing with the University of Calgary about a month ago. And I'm about um, one week away from finishing my nurse practitioner diploma. Um, but I'm not moving too far away. I'm still going to be um, doing general surgery here in Calgary. So I'm super excited about that. Well, I'll just say for our listeners, uh, like I said, at the top of the show, we're, we're, we've been extremely, extremely fortunate and, and lucky to work with you. Uh, certainly, I, uh, I as a resident, I'm sure Dr. Ball, over the last many years uh, in, the, in the operating room and with you as our nurse clinician, and I'm, I'm looking forward to to seeing what you'll do with the, the general surgery service uh, here at, or in Calgary. So thank you again for all so, so many years of hard work. You know, Lauren, it's, it's one of these funny things. You know, we work with nurses all the time, but I don't know that surgeons or physicians in general necessarily know how 
nursing works in terms of, you know, like, how do you just, do you, do you rotate through every kind of area in the hospital? Do you, and, and is that how you kind of got exposed to the, the operating room? Like, how did you actually get interested maybe more broadly in nursing, but then more specifically, how did you get interested in being in the OR? And how does that, and how is that structured into your nursing program? Yeah, so something interesting about the nursing program in general is that you actually get zero exposure to the operating room. Um, Like I always found this kind of surprising uh, because I think like, I know it sounds silly, but when we're watching TV shows, a lot of what we see is actually shows that are based around being in the operating room. Um, So from an outsider, you're like, oh man, that looks really cool. Like I want to be able to do that. Um, and then you're like, okay, I'm going to nursing school. Awesome. And then you do, ne- you never get to see the inside of an OR. Um, you might get to do like a follow through case um, at some point during your nursing um, training, but otherwise you don't actually really get any exposure, um, which I find to be really interesting. And I would say you certainly don't get any exposure um, to like actually how to be an operating room nurse. You have to like specifically decide that I want to do perioperative care and then you take a whole nother program after. Um, so kind of how, well, just to like back up a little bit, um, kind of what interested me in nursing is I had always like come from like a family of nurses. Um, so, you know, my mom's a nurse. I was like, oh yeah, I guess, yeah, maybe I should be a nurse. Um, and then I ended up going to college and I was like, no, I'm not going to be a nurse. Definitely not. And I started at Mount Royal actually and applied justice. And I know like you guys have worked with me. That's the most ridiculous career choice I could have made. Um, so anyways, I ended up, um, like doing, I think one class on like the criminal code. And I was like, wow, this is definitely not for me. Um, So I immediately uh, called my mom after and I was like, okay, so I think I'm going to go into nursing. And she's like, of course you are. I I knew you were going to. (laughs) So kind of what had, um, I don't know, like something that really interested me about the career in nursing was that it really challenged me as like a like a lifelong learner um, and then all the different areas that you could work in as a nurse. Um, I think that that really provided a lot of opportunities. Um, so if you ever were to get like tired of something, you could certainly like switch focus, which I, I really valued that. Um, and also just being able to work with the people I think is really important. That's, that's um, so true. There's so much variability and variety and heterogeneity in, in nursing jobs that they're almost like different occupations, eh? Yeah, no, absolutely. Just um, like even, even anything from like, if you want to be in the ICU or if you'd like to go to the operating room or like if you even want to work on like an inpatient um, floor, like it's just, everything is so different. Um, so that's really exciting. So I think that's what drew me to it initially. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's, it's sort of synonymous with with medicine right there's very technical physical jobs and then there's very cerebral jobs and everything in between you you know i think uh all three of us for sure and most of our listeners would probably agree that the operating room is a very very special place for a whole host of different reasons that in general are centered around the, the patient that we're all working on together but there's also a ton going on and I don't just necessarily mean within the conduct of an operation on the surgical side and the scrub nurse side, but just in terms of um, all the activity and the setup and the, and the teardown and the interactions and the teamwork, a lot of stuff. I think probably physicians in general are not overly great at situational or environmental awareness on average. I don't know if you'd agree or disagree with that on the surgical side, but sort of my, my sense when you compare physicians to other occupations outside of medicine. With that in mind, then, uh, can you tell us what differentiates a really great sort of surgeon-nurse interaction from your point of view, um, you know, a, a really great day compared with, with a poor one? What, what do you sort of look for and how do you frame it and, and, and what do you love? Yeah, definitely. Um, I would certainly agree with you. There's 
certain, um, like definitely certain surgeons and people in the operating room that have a bit more situational awareness. Um, I won't name any names though, but um, yeah, I would say most importantly, it honestly, it starts with how, uh, just even how you start the day. Um, I really think it's important to take the time to, when like the surgeon comes into the room, like, like greet everyone in the morning faces. I think that kind of really sets the tone for the day. Um, another thing is I just, honestly, I think that uh, trying to incorporate humor into the day is also very important. Um, I think that our jobs can be really just way too serious sometimes. And like, we still, like people need to laugh. They need to have fun. They want to be at work. Um, so even just like something as simple as that, like interacting with, with the staff in the room can really set the tone for the day. Um, another thing would be like, I don't know, just like as a surgeon, like thinking ahead, like what is needed or like taking the time to find the lead nurse in the room, um, like telling them what these items are that you're going to need. Um, and just like just trying to plan ahead. Um, I think some of the what makes for a really bad day is when nobody has the right equipment. Um, just we're asking for things last minute. It becomes disorganized. People become like, uh, stressed, right? Um, so I think that that's definitely something important to um, just to just to um, be able to do. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, I, I mean, it sounds, it, it sounds based on both of those domains, like, like common sense, but I, I would argue that pr probably it's not uh, to a lot of surgeons, particularly, you know, surgeons who are starting out or particularly trainees. Like, you know, I think we, back to, we had Melinda Davis on, um, you know, as, as you and I have talked about on the podcast, talking about anesthesia and surgeon interactions and she told an anecdote about a surgeon she worked with all day who never said anything to her, didn't say hi, nothing. And that sort of blows my mind that that's, that's possible. I also, you know, your second, we're doing a technical job with a bunch of requirements. And I would imagine that if that communication doesn't happen up front in terms of I'm going to, you know, definitely need these three things and potentially these other five things, let's have them in the room, don't open them that whole communication piece, I, I'd expect that that's particularly challenging now across the country when the, the workforce, um, and my perception is, uh, is really, really a, a problem on the nursing side. Like you guys have gone from three nurses to two, a lot of days, two and a half, maybe at best. Um, it, it seems particularly more important in these stressful last couple of years to, to hit both of those things dead on. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that, that brings me to another point is just being like trying your best to really be situationally aware. Like, is the room short staffed today? You know, is there a lot of learners in the room? And honestly, just even asking like how you can help um, alleviate this. Uh, like, I think something that that has always been really nice is sometimes we'll even take group breaks together um, when we are short staffed. And I think that that's something that would be um, that we might need to start looking to doing, right? Because we're like, it's going to be the reality that we're short staffed. I mean, when you say group breaks, you mean like, for example, both, both nurses in a, in a two nurse room would take the break at the same time and just um, take a pause basically. Yeah, kind of just um, like, right. even just take, yeah, take a break with the whole room. Um, like, I know that that may, that may not be as efficient, um, but it would certainly be better for the whole room. Um, and it could be like a good option. So I'm curious from a nursing point of view, what are the actual um, mechanics, the nuts and bolts, the cookbook of what you're expecting from a learner? And, and how should that learner interact with the nursing team in particular, as well as the room in general? Um, and, you know, I wouldn't, of course, say that I did it very well, probably early on either. Um, but it is something that as a faculty surgeon, I try and pay real close attention to. And, it, you know, you, you're maybe a hard person to talk to about this because you do it so elegant, uh, elegantly. And Amir and I have both benefited from your talent in that, in that kind of transitional time, um, which occurs frequently. But 
What's your sense of, of the nursing cohort of, in general? What, what should these learners be doing specifically? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, like a lot of this can sound really simple at the time, um, but honestly, just making an effort to do some of these simple things is really important. Um, so definitely, like we encounter a lot of different learners all the time entering the rooms every single day. Um, like it's really important to obviously introduce yourself to everybody when you are in the room or when you come in in the morning. Um, even just writing your first and last name on the board um, with your credentials as well is helpful. Uh, just writing your glove size on the board as well um, would be really helpful. So this is just generally like a whiteboard that you'd find in, in the operating room. Um, that you can do, like the learners can like pick out their gloves, they can open them for the scrub nurse, um, but also please try to avoid doing this while they're counting. Um, I know so many people, they're trying to be so helpful, but um, like the counting process in the morning is really important and it's, it's a good idea to not interrupt that as, as much as you can. Um, also just knowing kind of, and this can be hard at first, uh, but just knowing when to help and when not to help. Um, and honestly, like you can ask the people in the room, uh, like if you're not sure, like for the most part, people are going to be really receptive to the fact that you want to help the team and you want to like get the day going, like what can you do to help? Um, but also having that sort of just awareness, okay, things are like maybe the airway is a little bit difficult. Maybe I need to just move out of the way right now. I'm just trying your best to just like look at the room, what's going on, kind of take that in. Uh, also just like I always tell people, just try to try to think ahead if you can. And this can be really hard as a learner. And like, I completely understand that, but even just something simple is like, okay, do we need to shave this patient um, before we prep them? Okay, great. That can be my thing as the trainee. I'm going to go get those things, get them ready um, for the, like, for the nurses. They're busy doing other things. Um, and I don't know, just don't be afraid to um, get to know the, the sterile core. Uh, like, I think that's your best friend. Uh, it doesn't have to be the nurses that always go and grab stuff. Um, so I think that's a really important skill as well. And then lastly, and I'm sure you guys would certainly agree with this, is just showing that you're engaged in what is happening. Uh, there's nothing worse than like a, a trainee that is on their phone in the operating room, really engaged in, in kind of what's going on. Uh, just because I think it's a really interesting place to be. And you can always find learning in anything, even if even if surgery is not necessarily what you want to specialize in, I think it's still important to, um, to kind of show that interest when you're, you're in the room. I'm sure you guys would certainly agree with that. You know, the, the other thing that comes to mind um, is the noise level within an operating room. And that, you know, sort of speaks to your comment about situ situational awareness, for sure. We had a, a podcast uh, by an anesthesiologist. She was amazing in her, her entire, uh, sort of research program is surrounds um, noise in, in the operating room. And th there's nothing more distracting, right? Than, you know, the patients being intubated or you guys are counting the instruments and someone who's not familiar with the operating room walks in and is talking about the patient they just saw in emerge at a decibel level of kind of 10 out of 10, really with no awareness of what they walked into. And so that's the other thing I would add to your list is, is it's really important to understand noise and, and not only tone, but um, uh, where we all fit into that, you know? Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I think that's, that's something really important. And even as like some of our learners, like some of the scrub nurses, for sure, like there's a time to talk about your weekend. Uh, and then there's a time where, where like definitely now's not the time. Um, so, I mean, that goes for, honestly, anybody in the, the operating room, for sure. I think some of what we're talking about, Lauren and, and Dr. Ball, is, is kind of culture and psychological safety. You know, one of the, and one of the you know, sort of my favorite sort of interrogations of this was, you know, uh, Atul Gawande, who's a famous surgeon, scientist, writer in the U.S., uh, obviously is the, 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 the person who put together this 
WHO safe surgical, safe surgical checklist, there was some conflicting evidence about whether the checklist actually helped. And so one of his studies is he, he went down to South Carolina where they were sort of in, implementing the checklist. And he, he tried to interrogate what it was about the checklist that was helpful or, you know, was it really so much that the checklist made sure that you didn't operate on the wrong limb or was there something else going on? And so one of his contentions was that in the way that they operationalized the checklist, the nurse was actually the one doing the checklist. And I know that's not actually the case everywhere. In fact, uh, you know, like for example, Vancouver, that's not usually the case, but the way they implemented it, they actually would have the nurse do, being the one to do the checklist. And so I think part of, you know, all that I'm trying to get at is, is that in some way that allowed everyone in the room to be empowered to speak up and to talk about what was going on in the case. And I'm curious, you know, like, for example, one of the suggestions I've heard and that I really like is maybe at the beginning of the day, we should actually be having everyone going around and introducing themselves from the surgeon, the medical student, to obviously all the nurses, the anesthetist. Curious what your thought, are there any specific things that we could do as a team to really specifically ensure that the nurses feel empowered um, to, to participate in the operation and to really like provide the best care um, and, all, and all, you know, for the rest of the team as well. What, are there any specific things that you think would be really helpful and important at the beginning of the day? Yeah, definitely. Um, I know that the surgical checklist is, it can definitely be done quite well in some uh, services and not well in others for sure. Um, I think that when it does work well, uh, I think, how I've seen it is like people will, they almost have like a pre-huddle even before we were to do the briefing, for instance. And that would involve kind of what you were talking about is just introducing everybody in the room, um, like without the patient there, I think would be a good thing for this pre-huddle. Um, just what is everyone's names? Okay, is this a learner? Okay, this is their like first time scrubbing this. Okay, that kind of sets the tone for kind of what we need to expect in the room and patients. Um, and then honestly, um, I think that the checklist, um, like the formal part of the checklist, the briefing, timeout and debriefing, uh, I think it's nice if it's a joint effort. Um, a lot of the times I know nursing feels obligated to do this checklist and quite often, um, like it's not a true pause. Uh, like people are talking over nursing staff um, when they're trying to do the checklist. So I think just taking that like pause, you know, listening to the nurse also, like I think everybody in the room should be contributing to the checklist. So it shouldn't just be the nurse necessarily doing it. It should be more of a conversation as opposed to this procedural thing that we're supposed to do and that if we don't do this, we get in trouble. So it'd be nicer for it to be like more of an open communication. Um, Cause it's like at the end of the day, we're all just trying to advocate and um, provide the best possible patient care um, for the individual, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I really like what you're saying there about kind of getting out of this in some ways rote routine and really actually thinking about, okay, well, what is actually germane to this patient? And, and you know, making sure that everybody feels empowered to provide their perspective uh, as to how we can best take care of the patient. You know, Lauren, one of, one of the things that has always astounded me um, from watching student nurses is, who are in the OR is like the, the, the learning curve involved in actually becoming an OR scrub nurse. So like I'll, I'll post a picture of this to uh, like a link to this in the show notes, but I took a picture actually of one of the student nurses um, like the, the diagram that she had drawn for herself and had actually taped to the wall as to how to set up all her, her instruments. And I, I realized like, what, what, like it's, it's actually kind of amazing, at least in St. at St. Paul's in Vancouver. And I've, I think similar things happening uh, around the country. It's like an amazing process for nurses to learn how to be a scrub nurse. Like you really kind of get thrown into the deep end and you just got to do it in the OR with all these like, you know, potentially kind of frustrated, <laughs> irritated, grumpy surgeons, and you just got to go with it. I'm, I'm curious, Lauren, like, 
How do you actually, like, what does that process look like to train to be a scrub nurse? And, and, uh, and like, and how do you kind of work yourself through that first initial learning phase where you have to learn not only the names of all the instruments, but like when it's needed, you know, how did it, how does someone want it loaded? Like, talk to me a little bit about that learning process. Yeah, definitely. Um, so just to kind of preface a bit of that, uh, so kind of I'll, I'll just talk about the learning process in the operating room. Uh, like I know this specifically um, for where I work, but uh, I know a lot of other places are, are similar. Um, so in order to get into the operating room, you first have to complete a perioperative course. Um, so that perioperative course is a 10-week course. Um, and then it is four weeks of didactic learning uh, where you're learning about the theory um, of everything that happens in the OR. Because as I had said, we don't really get that training in nursing school at all. So this is all extremely new information for us. Um, after that four weeks, you then get to go into, um, like actually go into the operating room. And what happens is you generally start by your buddied with a person for the last four weeks. Um, so during that time, uh, the first part of it, you're actually learning how to, they teach you to um, be a scrub nurse for um, the first two weeks. Um, so that's kind of your focus. Um, so you'll be buddy scrubbed with another experienced nurse, just in case you're ever out of your depth somewhere, um, you at least have a backup person. And I always remember my, uh, like how I would prepare for that would be, okay, well, first off, like, do I even, what even is this surgery? Uh, right? Like, so that includes going home, uh, actually reading about the surgery. Um, and then I would say like, clearly anatomy is a super important part of this job. Um, just being familiar with the anatomy and what's actually going to be happening. Um, and then also we have um, these pick lists uh, that are printed off and it basically holds like kind of the instruction manual for how the uh, whole procedure is going to go. Um, so it'll talk about just like surgeon preferences and, and certain parts of the procedure and how you can have yourself um, set up and ready to go. Um, so it would include also taking those notes home and actually studying those notes. Uh, so that's kind of is like a way that I prepare for that, that role. And then once you start to become a better um, scrub nurse, um, then you kind of transition into the circulating role. Um, and then you start to learn that end of it. Um, but definitely, I would say like all the learners, they start with the scrub role. Um, and then the more experienced you are, you'll actually do a lot more circulating, I would say, um, which is actually quite the opposite of what people would think. You know, I'm curious, can you take us into a room or a day where just the, the differences in what's going on, what's needed, and, and really maybe how the room can better support the scrub and the circulator nurse when they're counting, when you have an instrument heavy case, I don't know, I'm just throwing it out there, but like a spine case or a, a, a big joint case versus maybe a lighter one, which maybe is a, you know, an inguinal hernia setup. What, what are the things that that we can all do to make those heavier days, the Whipple days, for example, um, easier? Yeah, definitely. Um, like I think, so just like the difference for me, so like a more instrument heavy case compared to a lighter case, um, generally like the heavier case, you're going to, <clears throat> that means you're gonna have probably more experienced staff in the room. Um, and something to recognize is if, we don't have this, if we don't have this available, it's very, it can be very stressful um, and tricky for the nursing staff in the room to be able to coordinate that. So I think just, just being patient um, with that process. Uh, like a lot of the times these larger cases, they require a lot more planning um, concerning the staffing experience, like who's going to be scrubbing, circulating, winter breaks can happen. And just, um, just thought a lot more thought goes into preparing for complications. So kind of like I had said before, just really having that outline of, 
okay, these are the things I'm going to require, or even uh, a lot of surgeons will actually put like the stages of what they're going to be doing on the board. Like if it's a combined multi, um, like multi-service case that you're going to be doing, like let's say plastics is going to come in after and do a reconstruction of something, uh, even just putting up the stages and what your plan is for when that's happening, um, even on the whiteboard is a really great way to just to make sure that there's really clear communication and just if people, um, just to like give people a bit of an idea of what the day is going to look like is, is super important. Uh, also, I think it's, it's also important to remember like these cases, they're, they're a lot more complicated. They require a lot more time to set up for. Um, so, I mean, maybe an 815 start is not going to be realistic. Um, so like I said, just being patient about that process um, and not rushing the room is, is going to be really important. Um, but that's not to say, yeah, that's not to say that I, I think the more complex the case is, the, the more fun it is, honestly. Like I, that's kind of where I really thrive as a more experienced nurse. But um, yeah, still, it's still fun to, to be able to do both, both types. Oh, exactly. Let's be clear to all of our listeners. You thrive no matter what the, the requirements of the case are. We, we know that for sure, and, and we appreciate you for it. I, I want to go maybe to a little bit of a darker place here, just, just for a couple of minutes. And mm-hmm. I think uh, we all have to work with uh, colleagues, and in your case, surgeons, who uh, maybe have sort of uh, poor behavior in the operating room that, that challenges everyone around us. I'm curious, how do you I, like, I'm sure it's the same across all different areas in the operating room, whether that's anesthesia, surgery, or, or, or nursing. Um, when you come in in the, in the morning and you look and you see that name and you're like, oh boy, this is going to be a long day. How, how do you deal with some of that maybe negativity or intensity or uh, sort of poor uh, behavior um, as a nurse that, that can come from a surgeon uh, who may be like that naturally, may be stressed in a given case, may have had a bad day like everybody does. Um, how, do you, how do you sort of frame that? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I've definitely, like I have a point of view from this as like a nurse clinician point of view because I would often have to complete all the staffing for a lot of these rooms and everyone knows the difficult people um, that are out there that we have to work with Um, and honestly these rooms they require that like people will because because of the bad behavior um, we'll often have like consistent sick calls Um, so people calling in um, to not come to work in these rooms So something really important, um, like something that we had to do was we honestly have to rotate staff through these rooms um, because the intensity is quite high or the behavior is just, it's only like, it's okay. Like it shouldn't necessarily be okay, but it is something that has to happen. Um, Like essentially we will rotate staff through um, that room or that surgeon particularly. Um, So I think it's important to potentially not staff um, the same people with people that behave like that. And that's just to address kind of burnout. Um, I know that may not be the best, like that's a, it's kind of a band-aid to a larger problem. Um, But honestly, any of the staff that is a bit more higher needs that I've worked with, like most of the time, like you can kind of boil it down to like, it might be a stressful case. And something that I think is important is for everyone to be able to kind of debrief after that case. Um, So whether that, I mean, that should ideally include the surgeon um, if they're open to that, or um, even if it's just debriefing um, kind of with the team after, I think is a super important way to be able to kind of handle some of these behaviors so that we can reflect on kind of what's happened. Um, okay, this is not, we shouldn't take this personally. This is not anything directed at us. And you know what, maybe have a couple laughs because um, like I said before, sometimes humor is just uh, kind of the best way to, to deal with some of that. 
Um, but like I said, it's definitely a bandage, right? Yeah. Totally. No, it makes it makes complete sense. You know, it, it's interesting to take a step back and, and look at how uh, high intensity cases or subspecialties within surgery are are sort of uh, staffed and treated a little bit differently in Canada than the U.S. And so if you have, for example, had, um, if you looked at a transplantation service in the U.S., if you looked at an HPB service in the U.S., looked at a vascular service in the U.S., you as a, as a sort of a staff surgeon have the exact same group of folks every single day. Uh, you have the same small group of anesthesiologists, you have the same sub-nurse, you have the speculator. And it's always, it was interesting to train in that environment. Um, it's always interesting to think about it because it, it certainly would relieve a lot of the, um, I think, um, uncomfortable um, uh, moments in some of these harder cases. Of course, you know, what, what you're referring to is obviously a Canadian system that we all work in and sort of spreading that, that pain out over uh, more more people and I think that's the way that it probably has to happen here but it is interesting to to think of those different models of um, operating room staffing across the board and 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 surgical uh, sort of uh, care or delivery yeah yeah definitely it'd be definitely a different approach to have the same team every day um, but I think that like that might actually alleviate some of the issues because I know that a lot of um, people that are potentially more difficult to work with, it's like they have high standards as everyone should, obviously. But um, a lot of the times it might be just frustration from like continual learners. Like and I understand like it's, it's hard to kind of repeat yourself over and over and over again, right? Um, when something's done wrong. Um, but if you've got a consistent team, uh, like you know how to communicate together um, and like everyone kind of knows their role um, maybe a bit better. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if one's better than the other. It's just interesting to think about, you know, in, in, in my personal training experience in the U.S., we actually had a number of uh, very um, well-known surgeons whose scrub team, nursing team, would follow them as they moved from city to city, job to job. Like it was part of that recruitment. Mm -hmm. It was like, I got to bring a team, man. Um, and it, it was all fascinating to watch really like those, those groups were like families, like they were so close and they knew everything about each other's lives. And they were, uh, they were, it was a remarkable thing to be involved with for a short period of time and, and, and to watch from the outside. Uh, you know, the other question I wanted to ask you in transitioning from that really surrounding the idea of stress is, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think we all know healthcare morale across the country and really across the world right now is probably at an all-time low, at least in our lifetimes and our working um, times. And I, I'm really worried about uh, the OR nurses that, that you and I know so well and, and that we work with every day, given COVID and family stresses and nursing shortages. And I realize that's been manifest across the country, honestly, and talking to colleagues, as I'm sure you have, and denials of vacation requests and cutting of part-time uh, lines and Sort of all this mechanical stuff that I imagine only adds tremendously to the stress uh, felt by our, our nursing colleagues, like like yourself and 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 your and your friends and and, and other folks. I, I'm curious if you could let us know how nurses are doing these days and and what's stressing them. And again, maybe to close the loop a little bit and ask how we can try and be helpful in any way that we can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely a hard question. Um, I would say, I think at the start of the pandemic, honestly, um, I think it was like the nurses were, they're honestly all really bound together by this one common cause. And I think that that was really great to see. Um, and it was probably, I would say, almost the most support we as a profession have ever had um, was kind of during those early days. Um, but like with any situation, um, that 
comes with stress, you certainly can't sustain that um, forever. And it's honestly led to the most burnout I think I've ever seen in a hospital setting before. And then just on top of this, like you're saying, when nurses are burnt out and they're asking for that break to rejuvenate themselves, they're then denied vacation. And I'm starting to see that before people would, they would really try their hardest to get their, to get their vacations covered or just um, maybe reschedule things because they really didn't want to leave their team short-staffed. And I, like, honestly, now I'm seeing people, they're kind of at their wits ends. Like they just, they don't care. And they, they'll just say, I'd rather call in sick anyways. Um, and I mean, part of me, I, I, I can't blame them for, for needing that break. Um, so I would say definitely this has been like one of the lower points in, in probably, uh, like my nursing career for sure that I've seen everybody. Um, now I, like, how do you solve that problem? I mean, it, it's such a huge, um, it's a huge issue, but I think even just, even just some simple things of, obviously being aware that this is happening, we're short staffed, uh, just asking the team, like, how can you help in the morning? Uh, like, even if it's just something simple, like, oh, maybe you can prep or maybe you can open, like things that you may not be, uh, things that you haven't done prior um, can just really go a long way. And even just offering those little things to alleviate some of the stress in the OR, I think is, um, something that can be really helpful. Um, I think that's probably probably dead on, right? It's 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 to go back to what you said about situational awareness. It's the little thing, and you know, as as you know, uh, together with me for a long time. Like one of the things that sort of drives me nuts in my head is when you have a room full of residents, learners, whatever descriptor you you want, and you have a three hundred pound patient, and they're all standing there watching two tiny nurses uh, like yourself try and move th these patients. Like th there's one example, I think, of how we should always be more helpful. Lauren's pretty strong, Dr. Ball. I wouldn't put it past her, yeah. but yeah, your point is so right. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, the, and the, the honest truth is you can use that time to, to do more important things, like you're saying, count out, switch over the room, all the things that we're less helpful at, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, just, I don't know, just those little things. And also, you know, it also doesn't hurt to buy, buy coffee every so often for people. Um, it's such a, I don't know, it's just, it's such a nice gesture <laughs> and nobody will say no. <laughs> You're so right, Lauren. And you know, sort of along those lines, you know, one of the things that's been on my mind uh, as I go out and I'm about to start my practice is, you know, it's such a, a you know, like a delicate and intimate early relationship between surgeons and nurses and anesthetists. Like in that room, it's, it's a different little microcosm, um, as I think we've all kind of been talking about throughout the, our conversation today. And, and it, it is not an easy thing necessarily to build up that trust and that relationship between surgeons and nurses. Uh, I think, especially as you're starting out, you know, I think people, my impression, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts. My impression is that, you know, people are looking to see like, you know, how is this person? What do they like to work with? You know, are they good? Are they bad? Are they, you know, like, uh, are they easy to work with or hard to work with? What are some things that you think new surgeons who are starting their practice should be aware of or are there are there any things that that surgeons should do maybe even before starting you know like i i have thought about maybe, maybe it would be good for me to actually sit down with the nurses beforehand and kind of talk about maybe the way that things go uh, what, what are some of your thoughts about for new surgeons or advice to new surgeons yeah definitely i think that um something like for a new surgeon starting i think it's extremely important um to kind of to seek out the nurse clinician of the service uh that might that might be a biased thing to say but quite honestly uh just even setting aside meeting time with the nurse clinician i mean people that are controlling all the staffing and your pick lists um even just starting there is a really good 
good thing to do. And that's just so that, okay, well, um, like what are your expectations? Okay, these are the procedures I'm gonna be doing. Okay, great. And then we can kind of make the list, which are the, the recipe cards essentially for everything you're going to need. Uh, just taking that time to uh, uh, really create that is a really great way to um, kind of just with um, with the OR. Because uh, I mean, the worst thing is, is when you're a new surgeon, you're trying to get like, you're trying to honestly find your own way and then to not have the right equipment to like for nothing that you want to be around and then that creates stress and then you know it's just kind of like a bit of a, a trickle effect there um so i think that that's a place to start and then honestly just um, like i've said before is just building rapport with the nursing staff um being respectful being patient and then also just uh, being really open to to teaching um, people in the OR, um, like teaching the like our learners, I think is is so important to um, in order to create a really good um, like team and a good scrub nurse and circulating nurse. Um, if you're willing to teach and share your knowledge, I think that that's also going to go a long way. That's such a uh, like an astute point that you know we don't some sometimes even take the time to like. You know, someone has been operating with us and, and doing all these cases with us for hours and hours. And we never stop to even pause and say, hey, by the way, this is what this cancer feels like. Or this is this is the ureter. This is like this thing that we've been obsessing about for the last 30 <laughs> minutes. This yeah. is what it is. You know, <laughs> this is what it looks like. Um, so, again, like I'm, I'm pretty close to my residency years and train year, training years. And we, we've talked about this a little bit. Um what, what are some things that you think like are easy things that residents and medical students can do to help the, the day go along? I think we've, we've talked about, uh, we know what to do in Dr. Ball's room, you know, uh, help, help, <laughs> help transport the patient for sure. But are there any, uh, you know, simple, easy things um, that residents and medical students can do to help the day go along and to help the nurses kind of get the cases uh, ready to go? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I've said like a bit of this before, but maybe I'll go into like just a few of the things that um, I guess like scrub nurses or like OR nurses really um, dislike. <laughs> uh, so I think just um, something that could really benefit trainees and their um, like, yeah, benefit trainees or uh, sorry, medical students or residents, um, is honestly to like, don't be afraid to have a conversation with the OR nurses, right? Um, get to know them, like tell them your name, et cetera. Um, and then also just, I think it's really important. And I, I don't see this as often anymore, um, but it, it does still exist is to really um, like, don't disrespect the knowledge that the nursing staff might have. Um, like, honestly, like ask, ask us tips, like, okay, like I'm working with this surgeon today. Are there any things that they, do they just hate this? Like, what do they like? Um, honestly, a lot of the OR nurses are like very happy to be able to share that sort of information with you. And quite honestly, it's going to make you look a lot better in front of your attending. If you're prepping right, or if they're you know, using this specific, I don't know, scissor to cut something. Um, like it's it just really lean on your OR staff to help make you better, quite honestly. Um, and then, yeah, like, like, as we've said, like don't leave as soon as the incision is closed. Um, there's still a lot of things that are, that you can do. Um, just help cleaning up the patient, transferring them. And then honestly, just waiting to make sure that patient is extubated safely is also a really important thing. Um, like I understand a lot of the times, uh, like the attendings and some of the senior residents, they may need to actually go and do rounding, but at least just having somebody around um, as an extra hand in case something like that goes wrong. Um, and then just like most of all, just asking like how you can help, uh, like I think is really important. Uh, and we've just, we've kind of talked about that already. Um, but just offering a, like a helping hand, I think is probably the most important thing that you can try to do is be open to, 
teaching you how to do things like prep, et cetera. So, I mean, just reaching out, asking like, oh, like, can I help prep? But do you mind just like, like just watching me this first time just to make sure I'm doing it okay? Okay, great. That's fantastic, Lauren. I really like, uh, again, I wish I had had your your advice when I started. Like, it would have been awesome to be able to go to someone like you and say, hey, uh, you know, how does how does so-and-so do their anastomosis or how does so-and-so do X, Y, Z? Are there any things that I should watch out for? Like that, 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 that is some like golden advice right there that you've just given our listeners. So thank you for that. Are there, are there any other like things that we haven't talked about that nurses are like keenly aware of when they're in the OR, uh, but that you think that most surgeons just aren't aware of or, or, uh, or don't pay attention to? You know, for for example, the, the the comment that you made about the fact that you actually rotate out people with with bad surgeons or people that are hard to work with, that's something I definitely didn't wasn't aware of. Are there any are there other things that you think that you you wish surgeons knew um, that 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 nurses that all nurses know? Yeah. Um... Yeah, I can kind of, yeah, I've got a couple points, I think. Um, So I think something that's really important that maybe like, you know, as a surgeon, you may not think about all the time is just the case booking is actually so important. Um, Like when a case is booked incorrectly, we just do, we don't get the right instruments and that can cause a lot of headaches. Um, So really, really keeping that in mind when you're either getting your Um, like even if it's a clinical clerk going to book a case, um, really make sure that you're very clear about what what is being booked exactly um, will really help alleviate a lot of issues in the OR. Um, Also, I think something really interesting is like as a surgeon getting to know like what is in your sets, like what is in your instrument sets, um, because a lot of the times, like you guys, you'll, you know, you'll ask for like a specific instrument and you're like, oh, I'd like the Scanlon. Oh, okay, great. Um, but it would be really good to be more familiar with, um, like learning, okay, well, what is the actual set that the Scanlon is in? Because a lot of the times the set's not even called that. Um, so just really starting to familiarize yourself with that. Um, and that's going to be but that'll definitely benefit the whole team, especially when you've got learners. Cause I mean, it's, it takes years to learn about the, you know, hundreds of OR sets that we have. So if you can even um, get to know the sets that you use very regularly, um, that's a great, a great starting point for sure. You know, we usually ask sort of a last closing question to all of our guests and, and we'd love to ask you as well. And that's really uh, quite simple on the on the surface. But if you were to go back and and chat with your your younger self, maybe when you were just starting your your nursing career or at some point early on, what what advice would you give yourself in retrospect? Uh, so definitely um, be patient with yourself. Uh, mastery it takes time and experience and learning is going to feel uncomfortable, um, but that's certainly okay. Um, And then lastly, just always ask why and stay curious. I think that that's the best way to continue learning and continue growing, um, like as a nurse or um, whatever profession that, that you're in. You've been listening to Cold Steel the official podcast of the Canadian Journal of Surgery. If you like what you've heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear your thoughts, comments, and feedback. So send us an email at podcast.cjs at gmail.com or tweet at us at CanJSurge. Thanks again.